1: Hey you guys, it's episode 88 of Eric Roberts is the fucking man, the world's most perilous Eric Roberts related podcast. I'm Doug Tilly and joining me as usual is the hardcore legend Liam O'Donnell. How are you doing today, Liam?
2: You know, I'm fine. It's Thanksgiving weekend here in the States, uh, which means nothing really for me, but you know, it is what it is.
1: It's a racist holiday, Liam. Sure.
2: Yeah, I, I think that's fair.
1: Yeah. So why uh, have you been celebrating it?
2: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think my family just likes any excuse to like do a family thing, mm-hmm. though our version of a family thing is we usually go out to eat for uh, Thanksgiving. But this year we uh, we ordered in. We had it catered oh. because uh, because my daughter is not stoked on restaurants full of people.
1: That's cool. What kind of food did you have catered in? Well, it was
2: still. Thanksgiving, just boring Thanksgiving food Th- Look,
1: there's nothing wrong with Thanksgiving food Liam, this actually does beg the question I'm sure the audience is riveted about this discussion But what is your favorite Thanksgiving-related food?
2: Uh, stuffing
1: That's interesting Now, what kind of stuffing do you enjoy? Um, do you like the, the the stovetop stuffing, Liam?
2: I Weirdly, I... Uh... I have an affinity for like the cheapest, dumbest, Mm -hmm. like whatever instant, whatever it is, stuffing. But I also, when I've had like fancy, actually in the turkey, like good stuffing, I like that too. It's not like, you know, sometimes when people like cheap peanut butter, they hate good peanut butter. It's not like that. I like both kinds, but occasionally just getting that that flavor of that, like from a packet stuffing. But, you know, I'm diabetic, so I don't eat a lot of stuffing. So I probably only have it maybe twice a year ever.
1: Okay. It's, but that's it. That is your... When Thanksgiving is, is fast approaching, you're like, oh, I can't wait to get that stuff in.
2: Well, no. Usually we have Thanksgiving. The last six years, we've had it at a steakhouse, and I order steak on Thanksgiving. Liam, how do you like your steak? Uh Medium. Medium.
1: Hmm. What do you think our audience uh, thinks about that response? Uh,
2: They probably feel medium about it.
1: <laughs> that's very good. Uh, You know, uh, your president, uh, Donald Trump, yeah, uh, he likes uh, um, a well done steak. I believe he likes it. Uh, uh, chewy, uh, no blood. That's what yeah, the... he,
2: that's because he's a classless mutant.
1: Yeah. Oh, is this a class thing? Uh,
2: I mean, he's classless in the sense of he has no charm or culture.
1: Mm. It, I have to. I, sometimes I get the impression that you're starting to sour on him as president.
2: <laughs> yeah, it's weird, you know. When he first came in, I thought, "Ooh, here's an opportunity for some chaos," and yet it turns out he's not good at this. Have you heard about this? Well, it turns out he is bad at uh, being a leader of humans. Well, I know
1: Liam that you are a fan of anarchy and being a punk, so I thought when you voted for him. It was based around the idea, you know, I want to bring about anarchy in the system, anarchy in the U- USA. We'll say why must um, you?
2: Why must you always besmirch me to our audience? I definitely vote, voted for Hillary Rodham Clinton.
1: Would you vote for her again?
2: I mean, I really hope she doesn't <laughs> run again. <laughs>
1: You hate women. Shut up, Liam. <laughs> Today's first-time guest is a musician, writer, and podcaster. His latest album, "The Lonely Friend," can be found at joshalvarez.bandcamp.com. It's Josh Alvarez. How you doing today, Josh? What's up, man? Josh, you co-host a podcast with Liam O'Donnell, my co-host.
3: It's true. We're like co-host bros. How did you two meet each other? It's a funny. It's a funny story, Doug. Uh, oh, thank God. <laughs> <laughs> We we uh, both participate in this, uh, this tradition called the punk rocks. Mm. And, uh, Liam and I lived in the same part of New Jersey during the formative years. So we used to just cross paths all the time at shows and such. And then um, we became like, so we only tangentially knew each other for about 20 years. Oh, wow. Then after that, when I moved to Philadelphia, I ended up being in the same film society with Liam. And uh, it was the Philadelphia Film Society and not too many people were like, Us, you know, cool, young, you know. (laughs)
2: Brown, tattooed.
3: Yeah, brown, tattooed, not the hegemonic stereotype of, you know, the upper class Philadelphia people that enjoy film. And um, I don't know if they really enjoyed. Anyway, so we were in the film society together and we quit at the same time because that was uh, not really our best uh, organization to be a part of for us. Okay. And then um after that we're like yo we should still watch movies and go to shows together and be bros and then that from there came the idea of doing a podcast on these things so here uh, we
1: That is a pretty funny story. I like that you guys were both in like running in the same circles in New Jersey and then you both moved away and then found each other. It's like a Bruce Springsteen song Liam. <laughs>
2: I mean, yeah, I don't. Uh, there was specifically one of the first times Josh remembers me is I broke a rare CD he had been searching for for years. So you know, it's not exactly you know a, a Springsteen song, but it's similar. It, Josh, what was the CD that Liam broke?
3: It was a compilation CD by French emo violence band Fingerprint.
1: Is that fat music for fat people here? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, uh, so this was a, a CD, a rare CD. Yeah. And Liam just put it in front of your face and snapped it in half.
3: Now, he, he pushed a mutual friend and it was in my bag and then it snapped into three pieces. And it literally happened at a show that I found it and like did a dance because I was so psyched. And this is before the internet. We're old. Sure. Right? You know that, Doug. You know we're old. Oh, I'm old too. Believe me, we're all oldies here. Okay, cool. Right. So, yeah, so it happened like in the flash. And uh, I just had to go home heartbroken. But little did I know, it only took one French power violence record for me to gain a friend for life.
1: Liam, did you uh, track down another copy and, and purchase it for Josh?
2: No, nah, he didn't tell me about this until years and years and years later. And now it's like, come on, you can get your own CD bar. <laughs>
1: Passive aggressive, you guys. Uh, <laughs> Josh, tell me your thoughts on the actor, Eric Roberts.
3: Um, I will say... Growing up I was a big fan of The Best of the That's Best. The best. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh and only in my adulthood did I begin to question the ponytail which I guess would mean that I am a fan. <laughs> so. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I would say that uh overall I think Eric Roberts' movies are are fun to me and uh I've enjoyed him, but then he is not beyond reproach to me either. I don't Mm. think of him as some type of, you know, canonized saint of cinema, you see. So, uh, but yeah, that being said, I have no ill will towards Eric Roberts.
1: (laughs) No ill will is pretty much being a fan of the man and his work. Now, you mentioned the best of the best series. Are there any other Eric Roberts films that spring to mind when you think of the man and his uh, uh, really kind of lengthy career?
3: Uh, the Christopher Nolan Batmans. Yeah. Yeah, that jumps to mind like automatically. Um, and then uh, I think that's about it. That's what I think about mostly. And he's pretty villainous. But, uh, you know, I think he's cool. Yeah, that's that's it. That's all I got. Josh, you are a musician. This is true.
1: Uh huh. You play music now. I don't know. Mm-hmm, please, De-
3: debatably a musician.
1: <laughs> uh, it, it, Josh is pulling your chain right now because I've listened to some of Josh's music. I'm a big fan of it. Uh, but did you know, Josh, that Liam was also in a band? Oh it, god, it was called <laughs> Revolver, the Revolver Method, um, and it was like a, a a punk band, like a hardcore punk band were you aware of this
3: josh yes i was and i think i might have seen them once or twice in our past right
1: well the reason i bring this up is not liam despite what you might think to embarrass you here with josh on the show but it's because it seems like a natural fit you guys are good buddies you're both very musical how come you haven't collaborated musically
3: that is a good question liam why haven't we collaborated musically
2: well, because uh, you, for the most part, play bass, and you play guitar for, like, your stuff, but you're not exactly starting a metal band or a heavy band with your guitar, so that means we would just be two vocalists. we got to find a whole band to back us up.
3: Well, that's
2: not a problem, sir.
3: I don't know if you know. I have a lot of friends that are perpetually doing bands. I,
2: I Here's my thing with this, Josh. <laughs> you're already – since – I'm not even going to talk about the bands you're in right now. I'm going to say since we became friends again, you have been in eight different bands, let alone your solo career. Right, right. Calling it a career is fun, too. I really like that. (laughs) (laughs) But you know what I'm saying? You've got your solo stuff. You've got all these different bands. And then we have a podcast empire we're trying to build from the ground up. Right. This is true. This is true. But there's always time for music, Liam.
1: Yeah. Also, uh, not to interrupt you, Josh, but... Liam, I mean, don't you kind of feel like a phony sometimes with all of these musical people around you? And you have a a site called CinePunks, which is about the fusion of punk music and cinema, and you're not actually part of a band.
2: No, not at all. In fact, I, I (laughs) I very much remember seeing a band I really enjoyed in the later 90s. And he said, hey, if you really like what we're doing up here and you really feel moved to be part of the scene, don't start a band. Like do anything else, like maybe a zine or or a label what? or open a venue, but don't start a band. There's already too many no, bands. You know what? I don't. I, I actually
1: think that that's a really <laughs> shitty attitude. I used to uh, write for uh, the website DailyGroundHouse.com, and part of what I wrote about was micro-budget, ultra-low-budget movies. What I would consider, you know, DIY-style movies. Um, and I used to interview a lot of the directors of those movies, and part of the kind of interview I would normally do would involve asking them what their advice would be to a young, up-and-coming uh, filmmaker with not, without a lot of resources. And a lot of the people gave really nice, really kind of kind – honestly, a lot of them were very uh, similar <laughs> responses. You know, Just don't give up and just go out and do your own thing and, and build your audience that way. But every once in a while, you get someone who's just like, do not do it. There's already too many people making movies out there already. And I'm like, that is a shitty, shitty thing to say, especially in this particular kind of field of filmmaking, which is just that, you know, someone had been so negative and shitty and dismissive to you when you were trying to get your shit together, then you never would be where you are. And also, it also kind of gives me that feeling. It's like, oh, there's already too many bands. We feel like pressured to uh, to kind of rise above it. Then good. Good. More is better, especially when it comes to art. More is better, Liam.
2: I don't. I don't agree. Yeah. <laughs> I, I. I actually. What's funny is when you're saying that about directors. I'm like, yeah, people should go out and pursue their art. But if you were saying the same thing to me about a band, especially a hardcore band, I'd be like. I mean, if you're really passionate, I guess so. But if you're kind of whatever about it, nah, there's other shit you can do, man. Open a venue. You know, there's never enough venues. Start a record label. Put out someone else's work. Like, I just don't I, – I think if you are a musician, then you should explore your art. But within our world, Doug, there are too many people who are doing it to be cool who don't really care about making good art, and I'm bored with that. I'm over it. I don't need it.
1: Anyway, I sincerely, and I do mean this sincerely. I think you guys should collaborate on Collabo on uh, some some uh, musical tracks. I think it it would be good for you, Liam, to stretch those uh, particular muscles.
3: I agree. If I may be so bold.
2: <laughs> I do I knew this episode was a bad idea. <laughs>
0: <Great Liam>. idea.
1: <laughs> well, speaking of bad ideas, let's get the uh, latest Eric Roberts news on the Roberts Report. It's the Roberts Report for episode number 88 of Eric Roberts Is the Fucking Man. And as per usual, we start with a deep dive on the man himself's Twitter feed. You can follow Eric Roberts on Twitter, at Eric Roberts, all one word. And in fact, our first tweet is indirectly related to this very episode, Liam and Josh, because friend of the show, Kimberly Couples, on uh, Twitter, she wrote that she was watching Descending Angel. Specifically, I think, because we have mentioned it And say because she's a uh, a listener of the show That we are going to be covering it, that's why And Eric Roberts himself retweeted her tweet Saying, with the truly great Diane Lane And we're going to talk, of course, in detail about Descending Angel right now But before we got started uh, Josh, you were telling us a little about the love life of Diane Lane Um, (laughs) Tell us everything
3: you know about her love life Starting in the late 80s to the present day In the late 80s she dated a personal hero of mine, Mr. John Bon Jovi. Also from New Jersey. Oh, my God. New Jersey. The Garden State, sir. I want to share a funny story about JVJ. Can I tell you a funny story about JVJ? Absolutely.
1: If you have second thoughts about it, we can always edit it out, but we will not.
3: Okay. So uh, I don't know if you know, Doug, but I work for uh, my friends at New York Comic Con. Okay. Know? So this past Comic Con, we had four less passes than we normally did. And I was like, "Hey, man, how come we? Because like normally we we get to bring in friends and all this kind of thing, and it's like a really huge event, right? Like sure. three hundred thousand people in the Jacob Javits Center in four days, and it's insane." Um, so we didn't have half the passes because one of John Bon Jovi's publicists had asked a friend who had known my friend if they could get him into Comic Con <gasps> without having to use the channels of like regular stardom into this type of scenario. So my, uh, the people that I worked for gladly gave up four passes for JBJ and three of his family members. So I spent the entire four days that I was there hoping right. that I would meet JBJ, John mm-hmm. Bon Jovi. Yeah. And I did not. Oh. Maybe. Oh. Because one of the days was lost to my consumption of a whole lot of marijuana. What? <laughs> and I, Liam,
1: you've you got to be devastated to hear that.
3: No,
2: I love it, I love oh,
3: it Oh, please continue, Josh It was brutal I found a man who looked a lot like Dave Grohl Oh <laughs> And I chased him in my stone stupor through a crowd uh-huh. And yelled out to him I was like, Dave And then he started laughing And it was just a white dude with long hair Oh, well, I, I mean, that's e- that's an easy mistake picture, to make I took a picture with him anyway <laughs> He's like,
1: will you please stop following me around <laughs> uh what
3: that
1: dress. Uh, you know what? I think that's better than d- diving deep into Diane Lane's love life. That yeah. that great story. I, I do want to actually go over to you for a second, Liam. Do you have uh positive feelings about John Bon Jovi, the musician and
2: actor? Oh no, I I hate John Bon Jovi. I'm a big uh, hater of John Bon Jovi. Do you think Josh is being
1: ironic when he talks about his own love about John John Bon Jovi?
2: No, no, no. We've talked about this. He he actually asserts that there's a couple John Bon Jovi songs that I should consider to be uh, hardcore punk anthems uh, because of, because of their topics and and anthemic nature. And I told him that he was full of shit. All of this is true.
3: That's
1: it's tr- no. Are you being serious? Uh, look, 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 Let's cut the bullshit, Josh. <laughs> you're being Are you being serious right now about your love of John Bon Jovi? I've always thought Bon Jovi is being almost like a a bit of a boy band because, you know, someone wrote their songs for them, all their big hits.
3: Sir, John Bon Jovi is to me what Bruce Springsteen is to the rest of New Jersey. (laughs) Jesus Christ. I I, I hate you. I hate what you're (laughs) saying right now. This is true. This is totally true. Because you know what, man? I don't have any guilty pleasures. I just like what I like. That's just what it is, man. And you know who else likes John bon Jovi? Who? Diane Lane, in okay. the 80s.
1: In the 80s. She probably doesn't yeah. like him so much
3: anymore. <laughs> uh, well, the problem was, I don't know if you know this, Doug, but JBJ was the one who did the dumping. What? Because of her burgeoning relationship with guitar player Richie
1: Sambora. Who yeah. later went on to a relationship with Heather Locklear. Oh, my God.
3: The web. It's insane, I, I tell know. you.
1: Anyway, Diane Lane, lovely uh, uh, actress and talented person. And we'll talk about her in just a little bit when we talk about the film today. Uh, but back on November 15th, Eric Roberts tweeted, Our entire family is so in love with you, at Michelle Obama. You're just good for the world. Staying with you for a second, Josh, was Michelle Obama, or is Michelle Obama, good for the world?
3: I believe so, yes. Mm-hmm.
1: I can I can totally see that. Uh, Liam, now you have a controversial opinion about Michelle Obama. I think it uh, I think you've stated it uh, several times in the past. It gets a little murky. I might have to keep my finger on the uh, the the edit button. But uh, tell us, uh, is uh, Michelle Obama good for the world?
2: Yeah, I think she would have been a better president than uh, Barack.
1: Why is that?
2: Because I think that uh i think she has slightly more aggressive opinions mm. i think she's a little bit stronger and less willing to back down uh and the vibe i get from what i've read of her talking about things is i think she's a little less stoked on bombing random people
1: do you think she gets a little pissed at her uh at her husband and be like did you bomb someone with drones today barack uh
2: no i get the <laughs> feeling that her fe- that her her Feelings is she's there to support him and not to, like, backseat drive the presidency.
1: Josh, you are a married man. I am. Josh, if you were to bomb innocent people using drones, do you think your wife would give you, you know, fill your ear with, like, with uh, complaints about it?
3: Here's the thing, Doug. My wife is categorically better at life than I am. hmm I know that feeling. If in some weird scenario she is not the one elected to public office than I am... Then nothing makes any sense And I'd be able to do whatever the hell I want Because it didn't make any sense at all in the beginning Not that I'd bomb people, I'm just saying There's nothing that the Logic just wouldn't hold sway In that kind of alternate universe, you understand?
1: Yeah, it, it'd be like the, We're living in the twisted Cracked prism Of the, of the Joker <laughs> <laughs> It would be like that, Josh
3: That's exactly what I was thinking <laughs>
1: uh, Anyway, Liam Diane Lane <laughs> You already
3: switched
1: um, <laughs> gears to Michelle Obama, what are you talking yeah, about? I, there's no rules, that's, that's one thing we've learned in 2018, there are no rules wow. Before we get into the news this week, we certainly have to mention the passing of the legendary Stan Lee Who of course appeared with Eric Roberts in Larry Cohen's 1990 film The Ambulance, Liam, of movie that I know you're very fond of Have you watched
2: it at this point, Liam? No, I still, because we decided to have lunch with Eric Roberts and Larry Cohen when I could have watched The Ambulance. And I was going to bring up on Twitter, this is what I forgot I was going to bring up, how when I finally got to tell Larry Cohen how much I love this stuff and it fucked me up, how mad he was. And then he just made fun of me the rest of our brunch. It was the worst.
1: Yeah, right? So don't you wish that you would have stayed and watched The Ambulance instead?
2: I actually do, yes. <laughs>
1: Uh now Stan Lee, as a friend of the show, Bill Maher recently has stated <laughs> <laughs> some funny. very controversial things, which I believe you echoed on your Twitter feed, Liam, uh about Stan Lee and no, his influence no, on the planet. I fucking hate
2: Bill Maher Yeah, go ahead.
1: <laughs> Josh, over to you. How right. has Stan Lee made an impact on your life and music?
3: Um well, you know I'm a big comic book fan. Sure. I don't know that. And, uh, you know, just like every other nerd that grew up in suburban New Jersey, comic books was that lifeline that kept you from, like, feeling completely weird, right? Although, in retrospect, maybe could have been the cause, but whatever. (laughs) And Stan Lee was a huge part of that. I mean, come on, Spider-Man, all that stuff. And, uh, I mean, I don't know if it's impacted my music as much, but I definitely feel it in my heart, felt it in my heart when he passed away.
1: I, you know, it was rough. It it did kind of feel like a piece of my childhood passed away. And I know that's very much a cliche, but more than a lot of the other deaths that have impacted people, this one really did feel that way. And again, I am very aware of the um, problematic aspects of Stanley and his career. But be that as it may, there's a lot of characters that simply would not have existed. A lot of, of of incredible work that would not have have existed without his brain and without his skills as a businessman. Liam, why do you hate Stanley so much? <laughs>
2: are we gonna do this joke the whole show is that that's what we're gonna do um i i don't uh hate stanley i I respect stanley and i uh am thankful to him for marvel uh which was much more important to me than the lesser bullshit company dc Oh uh, and, sir. And so like because of that, I, you know, have a lot of love for Stanley. I agree. There are some controversial things, you know, and you know, everyone has to mention, like, oh, Stanley's great, you know, if only, you know, uh the, the other artists or the other people got the same respect, blah blah And I get that and I feel that. I don't I don't think that's a bad thing. I just don't know why people had to bring it up right when the man passed.
1: Yeah, I, I agree um, with that. I mean again and some people were comparing it to the passing of certain politicians <sighs> as if You know, just to say it, when John McCain passed away, a lot of people were very negative towards him when he uh, immediately passed away. And I was one of those people because I feel like he spent a lot of his life uh, making life more difficult for other people. While Stanley, whatever his problems are, I don't think that they are so serious that they need to be brought up on the day that the man passed away.
2: I think comparing the two shows that someone has not really thought through what they're saying.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, it's the internet and it's Twitter, so I would say that uh, that is confirmed. Young Liam (laughs) Uh, (laughs) You're such an asshole Liam This is over at Ah. (laughs) www.jnewsradio.radio.com Amazing URL there Uh, This is about Best Thanksgiving Ever Which we've mentioned On some recent uh, episodes Which is now available On streaming platforms Or at least rental Through Google Play And other uh, locations Just like a variety of other highly sought after careers It's not easy to carve out a successful career in Hollywood But thanks in part to his persistence And talent of course A native Metro Detroiter has found a way Giving him plenty of reasons to be thankful This Thanksgiving holiday We're tying it into Thanksgiving Best Thanksgiving ever filmed in Detroit and Los Angeles Arrived just in time for the Thanksgiving holiday And I'm bringing it up Liam Because of the star studded cast Which includes um, Costas Mandalore (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> edo ross and uh the late Hollywood Jesus Kevin Short do you know who that is Liam no late the late Hollywood Jesus has Jesus passed away is this what we've been uh is that something that happened in 2018 the death of Jesus Liam I, uh, I
2: don't know
1: can you call your wife into the room and maybe we'll get uh... <laughs> i'm kidding of course uh also features eric roberts best thanksgiving ever uh Josh does your family celebrate thanksgiving yes we do now, I talked to Liam at the beginning of the show uh, when you had to stay quiet about his Thanksgiving experience. Could you tell me about your Thanksgiving this year? Did you do anything special?
3: I just had dinner with my parents. And, you know, my brother and I, we, we convened at our parents' house and stayed at a bunch of food. No real mention of Thanksgiving or its nature, but just, you know, food, which what? is awesome.
1: That does, that does beg the question, since I asked Liam as well, what is your favorite Thanksgiving food? And don't say stuffing, because what a boring answer. <laughs>
3: so, here's the funny thing, right? My parents are first generation, like, they're immigrants, right? So for my entire life, we've just had Filipino food for Thanksgiving. So egg rolls, man. My mom's egg rolls are the best thing about Thanksgiving, and I feel no shame or guilt about that. I'll tell what you what. Goes-
1: Josh, what goes inside of a uh, Filipino egg roll?
3: Oh, it depends on the type of egg roll that my mom feels like making. Mm-hmm. Uh, my favorite is uh, the the lumpia shanghai. It's just, it's like meat. I don't know, man. It's magic and wizardry and love that goes in there. And it's in every bite, sir. Oh, that... I'm going to say this right now. Liam knows that he's always invited to my parents' house for any meal. But you too, Doug. What? Mealy? If you're ever in the New Jersey area. And you're like, man, I'm hungry. You can call your friend Josh Alvarez and I will take you to my parents' house with me and we will eat beautiful Filipino food. Just saying.
1: Will the Alvarez family accept uh, a a potentially ignorant Canadian into their fold?
3: Yes, they will. My parents are very accepting people.
1: (laughs) They need to be with me around.
3: Uh,
1: (laughs) Leah, remember the movie we've talked about recently called Head Full of Honey? It was written and directed by Till Schweiger. Who you might recall uh, played a, a central role in Quentin Tarantino's Inglorious Bastards. Uh, what was the character he played in that, Liam?
2: Oh, is that, uh, is that uh, Hugo Stiglitz?
1: Hugo Stiglitz from the movie Inglorious Bastards. This is a film that he directed and wrote, apparently a remake of a 2014 uh, German film about a young woman attempting to help her Alzheimer's afflicted grandfather, starring, get this, Liam, Nick Nolte, Matt Dillon, Emily Mortimer, Jacqueline Bissett. And Eric Roberts, star-studded movie, Head Full of Honey. If you're in the L.A. area, which unfortunately none of us are, but maybe some of you are, listeners, uh, you can check out Head Full of Honey. It's playing in theaters right now. That's very exciting, don't you think? Josh, what do you th- What do you think about Nick Nolte? Are you a big Nick Nolte fan?
3: I do love Nick Nolte. I think it's funny watching him wake up all the time in movies. <laughs> <laughs> he always looks like so disheveled in Nick Nolte wake-up scenes. Just saying. It's his hair is all over the place. It's great.
1: Do you think that we're having trouble (laughs) allowing Matt Dillon to have a comeback? Do you know what I'm talking about? It always seems like every few years he has a role where it seems like he's making a comeback. And then he just disappears again. What's up with Matt Dillon,
3: Josh? I love Matt Dillon. So Mm -hmm. do you know that I'm doing another band called Aspect Ratio? I didn't. Tell me more. So I'm doing a band with my friend Carly. And we're both big fans of cinema, so uh, and a lot of times in my songs from whatever project, movie stuff gets in there. Sure. Um. So we decided to do an actual band just about movies. Oh. So we have yeah, and it's it's pretty. It's in its infancy. It's a two piece, a duo, if you will. But uh, we both sing, and she plays drums, and I play guitar. And uh, one of the last songs we wrote is called um, uh, it, "It's It's After Drugstore Cowboy." And uh, oh. it's, yeah, it's. I think it's a really good song It'll be recorded relatively soon, hopefully And hopefully out yeah, before the new year But uh, yeah, 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 I do love Matt Dillon I think he's awesome I mean, come on, man, Outsider
1: I see Matt Dillon in black and white There are no color in my memories, Liam That's a line from the Roger Daltrey song After the fire <laughs> But uh, you tell me, Liam Fan of Nick Nolte or Nolte? <laughs> um yeah, I think I'm
2: a Nick Nolte fan. I
1: think I am. I forgot that I had moved on from Nick Nolte to Matt Dillon. Do you think Matt Dillon deserves to make a comeback? You know, he stars in the um, a controversial film uh, by uh, the director whose name Lars is von Trier. Lars von Trier. Uh, he, he's the star of of his latest movie. Do you think this might be uh, the start of another Matt Dillon comeback?
2: Oh, I I doubt it. In fact, I would say if <laughs> if he's going to be in <laughs> Lars von Trier violent uh, horror movies, that might not be the the step forward. I don't I don't I don't know. I don't I don't see this movie necessarily giving him the platform that maybe he's hoping for.
1: Trying to say, Liam, that uh, Lars von Trier controversial filmmaker.
2: Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Would you see the uncut version of this Lars von Trier movie in a cinema, Liam? I believe it's playing somewhere near you.
2: I believe I am going to see the uncut version of this movie in a cinema sometime this week. Well, if you, you come Maybe back to 20... the show,
1: Liam. You come back to the show and you tell us if Matt Dillon is going to make a comeback. Thank, <laughs> thanks to his performance in that movie. Re- recently added to the ever-expanding Eric Roberts IMDb page is 2019's It Wants Blood. With an exclamation point Directed by James Balsamo A prolific low-budget horror director And actor uh, Who also helmed 2012's I Spill Your Guts And 2018's The Lich uh, Featuring Tom Sizemore Yeah, this has Eric Roberts As Senator Dusang And Ola Ray as Madame Dusang uh, As well as uh, Sleepaway Camp's Felissa Rose Liam As a character named Tammy And James Balsamo himself As a character named Phil Uh, This is the Be honest, this is the kind of movie I enjoy uh, Ultra low budget, horror Seems like it might have some interesting ideas Liam, are you going to check out 2019's It Wants Blood?
2: Yeah, I am
1: Why is that?
2: <laughs> because we made a blood oath. blood oath
1: We made a blood oath to watch the life and work of actor Eric Roberts So we need to see It Wants Blood Josh Alvarez Yeah Sleepaway Camp Great movie Is it transphobic though? It is problematically uh, so. Uh-huh. what do, do you think people are hesitant to talk about the transphobia inherent in Sleepaway Camp?
3: Uh, I do think that people are hesitant to talk about it, but of those people hesitant to talk about it is not Miss Phillicia Rose who played the 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 main character. Mm-hmm. And uh it's really funny because it's like I've I've recently been following her on social media and it seems right. as though she has been basking in this weird like um these people are coming to her and being like, oh, really, thank you so much for uh, bringing trans people to movies. Oh, interesting. It's like, oh, yeah. No, that's the thing is, I wish you knew how much this meant. To... It just seems weird to me. But um, that said, I saw that movie when I was young, of course, before I was awakened to the struggles of our trans um, friends and and stuff. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, it is a problematic movie, but uh, I also loved it. So, yeah, no, I do.
1: We're going to take our first break. When we return... We're talking about something really special This is a 1990 made-for-HBO movie Starring Diane Lane, who we've already uh, discussed briefly The legendary George C. Scott And Eric Roberts It's called Descending Angel And we're going to get into it right after this
0: To bind your hands, not if my love can find your heart. There's no need to take a stand, cause it was I who chose to start. I see no
1: Engaged man getting to know his future father-in-law better unearths clues that the man may have been a Nazi collaborator and a mass murderer. This is nineteen nineties Descending Angel, directed by Jeremy Kagan, uh the director of the other Eric Roberts starring fencing movie By the Sword, as well as the director of The Journey of Natty Gan*, the uh the Disney I believe it was a Disney release. Is that correct, Liam? Disney release Journey Journey to Natty Gan?
2: I have no idea. Uh,
1: And Big Man on Campus, uh, which I believe is about a caveman going to school. Is that (laughs) correct, (laughs) Liam? (laughs) Yes. And written by Robert J. Siegel and Grace uh, Woodard. Uh, This film, as I mentioned before the break, stars the legendary George C. Scott as Florian Stroya, a... um, well, really, he's the father-in-law that that uh, description was all about. And his daughter is Diane Lane. Eric Roberts is her beau, her fiancé. And he's going to meet Georgie e. Scott for the first time and uh, find out a little bit about his past. There's a lot of really interesting things going on in this movie. I, I've already gotten a sense of what our guest and my co-host thinks about it. But I really want to get a little more detail on that, starting with our guest, Josh Alvarez. Josh, tell me what you thought about Descending Angel.
3: I felt as though the movie Descending Angel was almost a direct allegory to how I feel when I listen to black metal and find new black metal bands and I have to find out whether or not they're Nazis. Yes, I understand that. <laughs> and it, it definitely felt a whole lot like the, the feelings were very similar. Like, is it? Is that what's happening right now? Oh, my God. Well, we got to find out. Let's talk to a priest. Like, all this stuff is it directly how it feels when I discover... New black metal bands that I want to listen to and have to find out to the very smallest iota whether or not they have any nationalist tendency. That's what it is. That's what this movie felt like to me. I do
1: feel like you need to elaborate at least a little bit
3: <laughs> on about what you're saying. Black, about black metal? Well, or- no, I
1: don't mean that. I mean, I, I get the same thing. Sometimes when I find like a Southern punk band, I have to see how many Confederate flags they, they fly on the front of their album covers. But, uh, but I just mean, like, what is the comparison point there? What about this movie made you feel that way?
3: I felt that Eric Roberts, actually. I felt that his plight of trying to figure out what was going on. Yes. And then um, that one guy kept on spray painting and doing the stuff. That dude. Like, there are all these, like, weird, like, are you sure you want to listen to this band? Because I heard that that guy hit a lady. And it's like, ah, really, dude? I thought it
2: was, like, okay.
3: But then you don't know because it's black metal. And it's all just a big smear, you know. So how are you going to figure that out? Even though you like the sound of the violence, maybe. But then there, you just got to do the research. And I felt like Eric Roberts running frantically through this movie definitely reminded me of that feeling of like, mm. you know. And then, of course, you got to break into the basement and go to the files. you know. What I'm <laughs> so that's what he did. And that's how I feel like when I'm finding black metal bands. And it's like, well, I got to break into the basement of this Romanian church very clearly and find a file because, you know. We either exonerate or we condemn But I gotta know, you know what I mean? <laughs> Except and- instead of breaking into
1: this this church And finding these files It's doing an internet search With the yeah. word Nazi <laughs> 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 Just to elaborate slightly on the plot So we have Georgie Scott He is a uh, Romanian uh, immigrant to the, to the United States um, As Eric Roberts interacts with him He's a very intimidating figure he uh is also running into this gentleman who is uh come to, to uh to basically accuse Georgie scott's character of being a nazi collaborator during World War two and to actually have have partaken in and um And and acted in the mass killings Of Romanian people at that time period And it there is some question About whether these are false accusations But then it is revealed And this I don't think is much of a spoiler That they're actually true And then Eric Roberts has to both deal with this reality While also having to deal with his love For uh, this man's daughter Who doesn't want to believe the, the truth of it Discovers the truth And then has to then deal with this uh, Whether she can still have a relationship with her father, who she's always known as a good and decent man. Uh, there's good people on both sides is what I'm trying to say, Liam. Uh, what, did you think, <laughs> what did you think of 1990's Descending Angel? Um,
2: You know, it is definitely a film from a time and place, um, saying like, oh, this is kind of a um, HBO drama. It has some of the like HBO sexiness thing going on. It does, like, that's true. Yeah, All that's kind of there, but, you know, all that is sort of window dressing to this central more like uh, I don't know how to describe the the conflict in this movie, because on one hand, it's a family thing. You know, it's mm. the tension of uh, loving someone, but not knowing what you're getting when you're mm. loving that person, because sure. their family is part of the deal and their family could have all kinds of stuff. Maybe they're uh, jerks, maybe they're cannibals. Maybe they're Nazis. Who knows? Uh, And so you know that's part of it. But the way that he finds out and the way that it's connected to the police and it's connected to uh, the local politics and the whole church community and all this stuff, it also takes on a little bit of of a um, kind of like 90s conspiracy movie feel. You know, that like behind every corner, it's not sure who you can trust and all that sort of thing. But uh, unlike both of these things, kind of like in combining them. It doesn't have a lot of tension. It's like you know, I I believe I, I feel really good about Diane Lane in the film, and I feel really good about Eric Roberts, and we'll talk about that when we get to the Eric Roberts section. But um, I don't know that the film itself has the tension. As much as I appreciate their performances, um, it, it, something I don't know if it's the way it's filmed, or I don't know if it's a, if it's something in the script, but I just never felt the sort of anxiety i felt like i should be feeling in this situation um and and maybe part of that's because it's not quite clear if this is just an embarrassing secret that that um we're just trying to keep hidden or if there's a whole network of murderers sure towards the end of the movie it sort of becomes like there's probably at least a teeny network of murderers sure but but the film doesn't do enough of a job for me of like Lifting that tension the whole time, so so I just didn't feel that per se, um, and you know it's it's definitely uh even though it's an HBO film, it's it feels like a made for TV movie for me in some sense, sure. uh, and and that kind of that is always less exciting for me. But that being said, um, I kind of like the idea of it and the way it kind of h- highlighted something that we don't talk about a lot, which is you know sort of. Uh, Romania during World War II. Yeah, absolutely. I think playing off that allows you to come up with – I mean Nazis are a standard theme. But the idea of a context where collaboration – collaboration as an idea is different, right? It's different than – you know, you're know you in Germany, you're a part of the party, and then you're invading another country. It's different to say, well, some people worked with them and some people didn't. And so who remembers who did what? There, th- That murkiness aspect of it was interesting. I also, I have to say, I always appreciate a movie that highlights how much we forgave Nazis. As much yeah. as we all want to talk about America has this history of fighting Nazis, it's like America has this history of not letting another country rule the world but mm-hmm. once it was clear that we won we let a lot of nazis sort of get away with whatever way they wanted to
1: i mean there are conversations happening in this movie that echo in in a much more muted capacity though maybe not so much uh some of the conversations that are happening in a lot of the parts of the world particularly the united states right now you know very much that question of how much can you forgive how much can you put to the side and then keep those relationships with Friends and family members going I mean, I think on social media in particular You get a lot of that When you, when you know, in the last couple of years Where you realized that you have friends and family members Who have these kind of abhorrent views Well, this is it taken to the extreme There's a really great moment in this movie I really thought it was terrific Where... Diane Lane is struggling with the reality of what her father has done, and she has just bailed Eric Roberts' character out of jail, and she's like, like, you know, my father has suffered for this. And Eric Roberts immediately he doesn't even like entertain it. He's like, he just he's giving away TVs to uh to to a woman in like, like a raffle, right? I mean, he's he's like a pillar of the community. What kind of suffering is that compared to the mass murder that he was a part of? Uh so there's no real attempt to, even though George C. Scott his performance is very kind of in some ways somewhere, sort, of, sort of genteel and loving You can also, th- that sense of menace never goes away it's, it, Even though there is some question about the reality of what he's accused of Once that comes out, you know He doesn't change his performance to be necessarily a lot more menacing Which is actually, actually I think, uh, um, uh, a real kind of positive element of this movie He doesn't turn into a cartoon character Even though, as you referred to, Liam There is a suggestion that his reach is uh, is pretty far, and that he's willing to go to Extreme Methods to keep his secret from getting out. Uh, back over to you for a second, Josh. A lot of great performers in this movie. Uh, we're going to talk about Eric Roberts in some detail, but first I want to just talk a little bit about George C. Scott, who is an actor I absolutely Love. One of the things I love most about him is how he kept doing interesting work into the later, uh, you know, later days of his career. Uh, I think a lot of people love The Exorcist Three. I know I have a really great appreciation for it. And The Changeling, a lot of genre work and interesting things that he was doing around this time period. Even though The Changeling was a good decade before. Uh, so good. Tell me, tell me your thoughts, Josh, on George C. Scott in particular, and in particular his performance here.
3: I love George C. Scott, and it's because of movies like The Changeling, The Changeling specifically. I adore that movie. And I thought he is so, so awesome in it. You know what I mean? Like, such a yeah. constant, like, embodiment of that character. And not only that character, but the themes of the guilt and, and parenthood and the the sorrow. Like, I thought he was just such a great actor in that movie. Sure. And so since then, I've loved George C. Scott. But the other reason that I love George C. Scott is that Eric Powell, writer of comic book The Goon, based the villain in that book, The Zombie <laughs> Priest, after George C. Scott's facial features. <laughs> watching this movie i'm like oh man zombie priest is a fucking asshole but um yeah yeah i i definitely think that uh he is an amazing actor but i think that the problem that liam spoke to about the lack of tension it's the fact that george c scott isn't exactly a menacing character on screen that all of his menace comes before the story and the only true sense of tension comes when the hagrid looking dude is like locking eric roberts in the room you know what i'm saying so uh There's no real sense of, uh, but George C. Scott in particular, I think that, uh, like, there's scenes where he's talking to Diane Lane, like when she walks in on, in like maybe when Eric Roberts goes for the run and Diane Lane meets uh, George C. Scott at the breakfast table and she's in the robe and he's like, oh, you stay far away from me, you know, like all that stuff. It seemed fine, but it also was just like, Just him looking definitely made me feel that parental judgment. Sure. And I think that speaks to his capacity to, like, convey as much just through his face. And that's amazing acting there to me. So uh, he is definitely one of the highlights of this movie for for me, for my experience. Um, I think his accent needs a little bit of work. (laughs) Yeah. It's a little rough, a little rough. And um, also the scene when... uh, it's near the end when Eric Roberts gets out of jail and uh Diane Lane convinces him to come home to speak to uh to um to the dad. George C. Scott is standing there in the full suit, right?
0: <laughs> yeah.
3: He's like, oh, he's he's there and he's got his armor on and he's ready to do the thing, right? <laughs> and um it it gave me a strange memory where in uh, in seventh grade, I had this crew of friends, and they were, like, my best friends from, like, grade school. Sure. And, like, I thought they were, like, going to be my ride-or-die homies forever. Sure. And uh, one weekend, they all got together, and at, they slept over somebody's house, and I wasn't there. And they all woke up at, like, midnight and egged my house. Oh. And then, like, for the rest of the week, they were, like, talking all this shit. Like, oh, we threw shit at Josh's house and eggs and all this stuff. And um, I told the teacher about it who then, you know, called their parents and it was, like, all this thing – and my dad had to come, he had to like leave from his job in Philadelphia to come to my junior high school in, in uh, South Jersey. And he had a conference with like their parents and they were there and I could right. be there. And, like the teachers are there. And my dad showed up in a suit that looked just like the George C. Scott oh,
0: scene, that wow. scene.
3: So I was like, ooh, this is going to be rough. Like that was like the immediate reaction. I know that's probably a little bit more than you wanted to hear about that. But it's the truth. That's what happened to me. And So that's the scene that made me think of that. And I was like, ooh, per- shit is real.
1: No, I'm glad that you shared that with us. I think it's it's pretty <laughs> revealing, but also about that kind of the intensity that that there's a different level of adulthood and responsibility, and 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 you know the idea of of what 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 it means to be a serious man, especially because yeah. you have Eric Roberts in this movie, who's very much you know the first half of it, he's just this horn dog, goofball character. There's a suggestion that he's a gym teacher, it's like he just doesn't take things too seriously, and then he finds himself. Faced with really what is, you know, the one of the, the greatest uh, events of, of you can call it evil, evil that the earth has ever seen. And and having to respond to it where he has people who he has love for that are mixed up in it. And I think there's a really interesting kind of mix of emotions that you see on display here. Liam, tell me your thoughts on George C. Scott and his performance here.
2: I mean, I love George C. Scott. Um, I personally uh, didn't love his performance in this movie. Mm-hmm. But I I don't think – well, let me take that back. I don't know that it's his performance other than the accent. The accent, it it made me unhappy. But um, I don't know that it's his performance. I think it's just the film is very good at showing you the moments where he is the stern father. Sure. But he's more than a stern father. He is maybe not a genocidal maniac anymore. But he is the commander of men that even now – Even if he is like, hey, that was a bad thing when we killed all those Jewish folks, whatever. The film never clarifies whether he feels real regret or if he's pretending to feel regret for his daughter. And and I don't think it needs to clarify that. What it needs to show me is that he is still a commander of men and I don't – feel that in this movie. I feel like the parts that were written well for him and then he animates are the parts where he's just a stern dad. And maybe this is because I didn't grow up with a dad. I don't find that intimidating at all. Stern sure. dads are dumb and laughable. And when I see them on screen, I think, oh, look, it's an idiot. Like, I don't know. Oh, oh. Part of that is but what intimidating about what
1: about people. Josh's stern dad who showed up to school?
2: Yeah, if I was one of those kids, I'd be like, ah, look at this jagoff!" Like, oh, my gosh. This, I, I can't. <laughs> nothing about that is scary for me in, in the visceral way it is for other people because I never grew up with that. It, at the most, it makes me uncomfortable because when I started dating, uh, I had to meet people's dads and sometimes they were stern. And I thought, what's this guy's problem? Like nothing about that is intimidating. <laughs> and 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 his scenes of being a stern dad. Aren't enough for me to understand why people are still listening to him. Like he commands, like people listen. He is a leader in this community, and other than him making a couple of speeches at a church, there aren't enough moments where I see the severity of which other characters talk about. Like the priest tells you he's this serious man, mm-hmm. but I don't think the film gives him enough of that. And I and 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 then I want to say, oh, his performance. But I don't think it's his performance at all. I think the film. Doesn't give him enough opportunities for us to see that. It's because I, the, think, I, think,
1: I think it's because the movie's afraid to sh- tip its hand too early, right? And that that's probably a contributing factor.
2: I I get I get that, especially in the fact that like the scene when he finally admits it to his daughter is actually a pretty well written scene because mm-hmm. it allows him to. You get the feeling as if he's confessing to something, but he's not really confessing. Right. But I think it allows the film at the end to let you know, like. There's a world in this film to me where he's done all the things he's accused of, but he also is trying to make his life better, but he's so desperate not to be found out that he is making Bad decisions in order not to be found out. That's right. one way for the film to have gone. Sure. Another way is for him to not be repented at all. That mm-hmm. the whole fucking church is a secret Nazi club, and yeah. everyone's on the Nazi train, and they're all big Nazis. Like <laughs> you know what I mean? Like there is a nationalist thing that could be going on here, where sure. it's like, no, I don't really feel bad. I just tell the daughter that just to get off my nuts, you know. But the film never chooses. Okay, that's fine. I'm not saying it has to choose, but in doing that he is not the character i think that the movie wants him to be on the page and i don't think uh, the more i think about that that can't be george c scott's fault because he is an intimidating human when he was alive he was top scary white men in the world (laughs) like the dude just commands i mean again with the changeling (laughs) Patton, come on yeah he's Patton. even like you said just because we talked about already in the changeling there's moments where he's like yelling and i'm like He's gonna beat up that ghost kid. He's gonna find that (laughs) ghost kid. He's gonna give him a whooping. Like he's just so intense, you know. And uh, and he just doesn't have that in this movie. And 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 to me, that's a missed opportunity. That's like uh, even if you wanted to do it in a way that didn't give away what you're trying to keep ambiguous in the film, he needs an opportunity to be. I don't know. Just more commanding and, and and menacing and I don't get that from him in this it's, film. For it's me.
1: A, it's a difficult thing. Like when Eric Roberts truly finds out who he is, you kind of expect the movie to break open a little bit and for him to really show the kind of intimidating figure he is, but you're right. It never really goes that far and I think it tr- it wants to be more subtle than that, but at its core this is, as both of you kind of uh, suggested, this is kind of like a paranoia conspiracy thriller, and you either got to lean into that or you need to not introduce that in the first place, and it makes you feel kind of unsatisfied. Though I have to say, I still felt that his performance was pretty uh, strong, uh, even with that accent. So I want to talk about the sequence where Eric Roberts steals a book about Romania because he can't possibly go back the next morning to get it. <laughs> so let me just paint the picture for those who haven't seen this movie and it is a very difficult movie to track down in some ways so i can understand it um eric roberts he he's curious about his father his future father-in-law's background so he goes into a bookstore and he sees this book about romania and he's flipping through it and there's information about these concentration camps and and death camps that his uh, father-in-law had mentioned and he's like you know this is kind of interesting i want to know more about this and just as the mall that he's in is about to close, he goes back to the bookstore and the guy uh working at the bookstore refuses to sell him the book, saying that the that uh, not not for any reason outside of they're about to close and he says I'll put it aside, I'll let you get it tomorrow morning. I've already closed the till. Eric Roberts says I have exact change. He's like, "No, sorry." So Eric Roberts steals the book. He puts it under his coat and steals it, which leads to a sequence of a security guard taking him to a back room uh where we discover that um it is, I believe, it's his Diane Lane, his fiance. It's her sister's husband. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. So no, he, that's
2: her. That's her brother.
1: Brother, right? It Makes sense. Oh, all in the family, right? Uh, I was a little unsure about that, but uh, but yeah. So another family member. Actually, I guess he he's the manager of the uh, the mall, and he he lets Eric Roberts off with with it basically, uh, and makes a little joke about how he's going to hold it over his head, which is actually kind of menacing in retrospect. This is such a strange. Thing to happen, uh, even with what we know About Eric Roberts' character and how impulsive He is, the idea that he decides to Steal this book is just one of those things where you're Watching a movie, a movie and you're like What are you doing? Why? Why do you think this would possibly be a good Idea? Liam, tell me more About this sequence. What did you think of how This played out? Did you think this was true to the character That you're seeing in the movie?
2: Okay, can we just start with This is... Ugh when you see a book in a bookstore that just has the name of a fucking country on it, it looks like something you
1: see like a, like an elementary school. Yeah.
2: That book does not have facts about atrocities committed by that country. That's not how those books work. Those books have like, Hey, these are the canals you should visit. You know what I mean? Right. Right. And yet he just is, Oh, let me just pick up this book. This is a book called the beautiful countryside of Romania. And let me just open it up. Oh, look, the first page I open it up to is about all the Jews they murdered. Like, what like it, it is very straight it's a very strange plot point that he's just in he's not at the library or you know what i mean like it would be believable that he's like yo i, I gotta impress them i want to know something about romania i'll go do some research so i don't seem like a fucking dingle who doesn't know anything about even where romania because he admits at one point yeah, he yeah. doesn't even know where it is he couldn't <laughs> even find it on a fucking map they don't so like they don't talk about it on tv <laughs> <laughs> so like the idea like, OK, well, he could do some research or whatever. That makes sense. But instead, he's at a at a, at a fucking um, just a bookstore in the mall and he's like, I'll just pick up this random book on Romania. Oh, look, a bunch of pictures from World War Two and massacres. What? What is that? And then, like you said, you've already sort of highlighted this. It doesn't make any sense that he just walks out with this book. Like, is he already that high? Sh- it, the movie hasn't moved forward enough. Yeah. And it's conspiracy tension for him to be making bad decisions. Now, if this was later on in the movie, I'd be like, "Okay, I get it. He's tense. He's irrational. But like now I'm thinking that chilled out gym teacher guy is actually a high strung weirdo because he (laughs) freaks out over this book. What's going on?
1: I guess I guess there's also an element. That we're supposed to, like I think that the movie's trying to reinforce that maybe he is a bit of a weirdo Which is why he might be buying into this conspiracy that isn't true uh, But that's hard to do with the main character I mean he is, he's our kind of like a Hitchcock everyman in it, right? He's the guy that we are uh, experiencing all the characters and storyline through And he's the guy we're supposed to be most sympathetic towards So adding that element to it is just kind of a really strange addition to that character josh did you have uh, any were you screaming at the television screen while watching that uh that uh theft occur well
3: the funny thing about it is well he's paging through the pages while he's flipping through <laughs> show that weird like tic-tac-toe board that the other guy was painting on the wall yeah, yeah, yeah but then that's the only referencing to that at all and no one addresses it at yeah, all yeah that's true it's like what the fuck is and I mean, book theft, really? You're going to steal it that way? Like, under-the-jacket style? Like, you're a Scooby-Doo character? Come on, man. Like, try harder, Eric Roberts. That was I my... Have... It.
1: I... The fact that he didn't actually have exact change for it, that
3: bothers me more than it probably should. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, and that back room sequence. Like, oh, man. Yeah. It's wild kind of, style, baby, wild style
1: <laughs> it, It's kind of strange I do, I feel like we uh, I know we we focus probably a little too heavily On Eric Roberts as the fucking man On performances and not filmmaking I do have to say this is a very drab looking movie And I don't say that just because it was filmed in Montreal uh, But it's it it has that made for TV look That I think Liam was referring to earlier Where it, it's very flat uh, The the It's very muted Everything seems a little... Cold and 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 um, unfriendly. I don't even know if that's an intentional aspect of uh, of the filmmaking. It just, aside from some of the locations, uh, um, like the Romanian church, which which is kind of very visually striking, there isn't much really to say about, uh, say the the photography that takes place. Do you have anything to add about the the kind of look of the movie, Liam?
2: Oh, it's just to me it's very boring there's no uh, there's no excitement i mean first of all for a movie with a lot of tension there's really the only sort of like actiony sequences are when they're freaking out in a car and the guy like drives off the road sure. and then and then the sort of climactic ending i uh-huh. guess um, otherwise, you know, there's nothing really happening. I mean, I guess getting locked in a room by a scary big dude is <laughs> not cool, but it, it doesn't, you know, it, so that, that there's none of that going on, but there's also no creativity in how it's filmed. It's just sort of showing it to you, which is fine. I, I you know, I guess that's sort of what you have. This is sort of a, my thing with filmmaking in general is like, sure. um, yeah, there's a creative way to shoot a film, but if, uh, if, if, the narrative if it's a, if it's a narrative that is compelling enough in and of itself i'm actually not that big a stickler on the visuals like if this movie was as sort of drab and and not very exciting as it is visually sure. but i was really compelled by the characters i'd be like that's fine i don't care about that but <laughs> it's also true like sometimes people are like oh there's no story and what you're seeing is this like beautiful sure. film and i'm like you're kind of missing the fucking point you know what i mean in this case it's a uh, you know I would like it to look a little prettier. That would distract me from the fact that I'm not stoked on what's happening. So, you know, <laughs> you a th- very, sorry, can please. we play
3: that on Canada?
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, if you're not David Cronenberg, probably whatever you shot in Canada sucks. So <laughs> uh,
3: or Guy Madden. I give yeah, it Guy Madden, fair. But uh, that's fair. Yeah, maybe the drab landscape is just what it looks like in Canada. (laughs) You guys are so fucking funny.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Legitimate concern.
1: I mean, maybe, you know. Yeah, that's fair. It's cold and scary in Canada. I'm
3: not gonna argue (laughs) that. Not visually compelling. You didn't say either visually or compelling just now. Cold scary. Cold and scary is a mood,
1: <laughs> and it's one that that a lot of filmmakers get a lot of use out of here in Canada. By the way, the movie that you guys were both raving about, The Changeling, filmed right here in Canada.
3: Yeah, indoors.
2: <laughs> Excellent, <laughs> Excellent point. Crazy crash scene that starts the movie. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. So, um, just, just, oh, speaking of which, Crash
1: also filmed here in Canada. Um, I do want to mention Before we get to Eric Roberts There is a small appearance in this movie By the great Richard Jenkins Um, This is still early in his career Before he made another return to Canada In another Canadian made movie By Guillermo del Toro Who makes all of his movies in Canada now Thank you very much Because he lives (laughs) here now Because he's now a Canadian Because we love him so much Thank you very much. Richard Jenkins is in this movie. He plays a lawyer. He is amazing. In like, I don't know what he, somehow everything he says in this movie is way more interesting than all the other performances for the most part. It seems like his character has been written to be witty and interesting. And am I no, wrong? That's on what
2: I, I, no, one hundred percent. I wanted to bring. I was hoping you would bring this up because it feels like he wandered in from another movie, like a Coen <laughs> like Brothers movie like or he something, got right? Lost.
0: Like, <laughs>
1: <laughs> he has so much energy, right? I mean, he's so much. He like you can see how. I mean, it took what another fifteen years before he be- became a star, but you can see why that would be the case. He lights up the screen when he's there.
3: Yeah, how about he's the only character that has funny cynicism in the movie? That
1: well, him and that other, uh, the guy from Scrubs.
3: <laughs> yeah, dude, <laughs> Sam Murray,
1: Ken Jenkins. He also was actually a, pretty good. good. Yeah, Jenkins number two in the movie turns out. I mean, there are some interesting supporting performances, and I don't want to discount that. We also have Mark Margolis from Breaking Bad, who plays uh, Bercovici, the the gentleman, the Romanian gentleman, who's tr- basically trying to accuse Georgie Scott of being a
2: Nazi collaborator. But, uh, but 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 here's the thing, though. It's not. I I actually want to say because we do talk a lot about performance. It's not a performance thing, actually. It's like I feel like Richard Jenkins improvised his scene, and that's why <laughs> the lines were good. Like I I feel like it's like it, it, it's not an issue of you know that he just happens to be funny it's that his character and a little bit of sam murray but not as effectively mm-hmm. those are just the parts of the movie that were written in a way that were witty and fun whereas the other parts of the movie even if they were in other ways effective anyone making like any joke that eric roberts or diane lane or georgie scott makes in this movie is like a cringy like just don't make jokes thing right. and then all of a sudden richard jenkins comes in and he's like Kind of funny and interesting And it's like who wrote your script Did you do a rewrite right before you walked in the room Like what happened
1: What about that funny joke that Eric Roberts says Where he asks how to say I want to be inside you in Romania <laughs> <laughs>
3: <laughs> 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 But yes Richard Jenkins is excellent I Although think it's t- the other the other thing about the Richard Jenkins scene is mm-hmm. that that holding cell looks insane. It's big, eh? <laughs> There's like a pew in there and that's just like the 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 jail bars like it seemed like what is this? What type of weird jail is this? I it's know. it's Canada. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: I think it's time for us to talk about Eric Roberts, the actor Uh, I am going to just say it right off the bat I think that this is the best Eric Roberts performance That we featured on this podcast Probably in the entirety of 2018 It has all the elements of what I love Out of a great Eric Roberts performance There's nervous energy There is fear There is uh, someone who's out of control So so many of the uh, performances that we see on the show Particularly uh, performances where he makes uh, short Appearances in low budget movies They bring him on as this guy who's like super cool And always in control That's I don't think is what's so strong About Eric Roberts as an actor It's when he is completely out of control Like he gets here Like at the beginning of the movie He's just this horned up dude Who wants to fuck Diane Lane all day And then he suddenly becomes Aware of this uh, issue with his father-in-law And becomes completely out of control And that's when his performance, I think, gets interesting I really like him here I think this is a great, great performance And probably the best performance in this movie um, Outside of Richard Jenkins' kind of two-minute sequence But I actually think he out-acts George C. Scott here Which is maybe a controversial thing uh, And might be related to that accent I'm going to go to you, Liam I want you to push back against me What did you think of Eric Roberts in this movie?
2: Um, I think I have to agree with you. I, but here's the issue. It's that Eric Roberts is doing, so in the beginning, Eric Roberts fits in the film because his role is to be this fish out of water, awkward dude who doesn't quite get the rules that he's suddenly presented with. Um, and it's so, his immersion into the family is so complete. it took me a little bit to realize that they were still, like, it, it feels at first, I'm like, did they go to Romania? Like, where are they right now? Uh, and, and and so th- that aspect of it, like, his performance makes sense. Later on in the film, he is acting like he is in a tense movie in which the audience is feeling emotions. Hmm. And so that's what his performance is. And it feels to me completely discharged from the rest of the movie. Like the only other person who seems to be emoting is Diane Lane, and for her, like, not that what she's feeling isn't important, but it's like, oh, I can't believe you don't like Dad. Whereas, yeah. like, Eric Roberts is like, I could die, like, th- like, like they might kill me, right. like, I. It, 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 so, part of my first reaction i was watching and i was like man eric roberts is really like fucking pulling out the stops right now like this might be a little too much but as i thought about it the more i thought about it i thought i i think it's actually a great performance it's just a shame because i don't feel like the rest of the movie is caught up like i think he's doing what his character should be doing it's just not clear to me that anyone is matching his energy Mm -hmm. and that makes it Almost uncomfortable for me to watch because I'm like, I just want someone else to be on the level that he's at in the film. Whereas, like, I, I mean, I guess, you know, let, let's not even just talk about George C. Scott. Every other quote unquote menacing person in this movie, so it's like the brother or the scary wrestler or whoever, they've all are from a school of acting in which you are menacing by simply not showing any emotion and just sure. walking slowly. Like, they, they don't do anything for you to understand, like, these are scary people and he should be scared. So again, it, it kind of makes his performance a little strange for me. That being said, I have to agree. I think it was a, it was certainly better than anything else we've watched this year. Definitely wouldn't rank one of my favorites of all time of his. But like, you know, he's actually doing his Eric Roberts thing here.
1: Yeah, I, I do think it's one of the – people do not talk about this movie very much. Uh, and, and despite our mixed feelings I think across the board – I do think that this is a – if you're a fan of Eric Roberts, which I imagine if you're listening to this podcast, you are, this is a performance worth seeking out to check out. But let's see if Josh agrees. Josh, what did you think of Eric Roberts in this movie?
3: Oh, man. The first act, he is so earnest. And it (laughs) makes me feel so uncomfortable. Especially when he's talking to the little girl it's like man you seem like the coked up uncle at the party that's just saying weird <laughs> shit now like and it's maybe Ernest Eric Roberts to me is so disconcerting <laughs> it's just like the, the oh man there's just something about the way he talks to everybody like yeah i get the horn dog thing and like okay so he's trying to get like laid so cool whatever he's going to do the thing that said when he talks to everybody he seems to be trying to get laid by everybody which is like Made me feel really gross. You know what I'm saying? I don't Diane, Diane
1: Lane's sister wants wants in on that, but he oh doesn't. My
3: God, it's so weird. It's so weird, right? Because then he's like, then she kind of bites, and then but then he's like, oh, hey, hey. like
1: <laughs>
3: it like, aback. Hey, 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 back up! I just want to find out if your pops a Nazi. <laughs> yeah, it's like, But dude, <laughs> given like the weird charm and those beautiful eyes. <laughs> oh, I don't know, man. It, it made me feel really uncomfortable. But then when he hits the wailing pitch, I mean, like, I I, I don't want to say that he outacted George C. Scott because I love George C. Scott. But then again, the evidence points to the otherwise, right? Because, like, a, a lot of the best stuff that George C. Scott does in this movie is not talking, which is what Liam was saying. Like, they come from that school where, like, the menace comes in the silence. But, um... I do think that Eric Roberts, um, by the time he gets to the end of it, I'm just like, wow, he has a lot of wild hand gesticulations while he's talking. <laughs> and that's like, it, like he lets it go, but then brings it back to show like a man in conflict. You know what I mean? And um, I thought that was a, it was believable. But um, yeah, it's fine. <laughs> I don't know. Nice Eric Roberts really fucks me up is what the point of that is.
2: Yeah. I feel like this is. I feel like this is partly because you haven't watched that many Eric Roberts movies. So you just want like fucking best of the best Eric Roberts. But he's super
1: yeah. nice and best of the best. He's the nicest. And yeah. what about that ponytail?
3: He's still not trying to bone anybody in that movie as far as I could tell. He's just trying uh, to
1: win. He wants yeah. to bone everybody in that movie. I, I think you need to rewatch it, sir.
3: Yeah. You know what? You're not wrong. But um, that said, it's
2: still- I feel like if you had seen some of his like if you're if we're talking like Star 80 or mm. uh, Pope of Greenwich Village, this is the high strug Eric yeah. Roberts, whatever. I think you get that. But I think and maybe maybe this is also Doug uh, from us having met him. I feel like uh, sincere Eric Roberts is like the closest to actual Eric Roberts. Like if if you take that sincerity and then add in uh uncle jokes, you know, then that's like how Eric Roberts actually is as a
1: I mean, I I can't help but think about that famous uh saying about, you know, once you can fake sincerity then then you got it made.
3: Wow. <laughs> Thank you. But dude, the scene when the scene when he meets the family and he's talking to the little girl and like kneels down to sleep. Sure. And then right before he takes the shower, he's rubbing the little rose on her chest. Yeah. He's like, This is pretty. I'm gonna take a shower.
2: Dude, tell me that shit didn't feel fucking weird. <laughs> I didn't I didn't find that weird at all. I actually just thought that was like him trying to relate yeah. to this girl and trying to be like sweet, you know? Um but uh but I I kind of get what you're saying, Josh, just in that like it is so intense, you know, but I just think that's who he is. You know, like, that's what you get from Eric Roberts. Yeah, he's and a try hard
1: guy. I mean, I actually think there's an element where we're supposed to think he's kind of trying a little too hard to fit in, because later on we find out that the family never really liked him at all anyway.
2: <laughs> I wouldn't
1: either. Just so. <laughs> Alright, that brings us to the uh, very theme of this uh, uh, show Which is whether Eric Roberts, the actor, is the fucking man in 1990's Descending Angel I'm going to stick with our guest here, Josh Alvarez Josh, is Eric Roberts the fucking man in Descending Angel?
3: You know what? Yeah, he is the fucking man in that movie He's got the best story arc the most <laughs> you, wouldn't,
1: you wouldn't invite him into your home, but he is no. the fucking man
3: Yes,
2: that's it, that's exactly it
1: Liam, over to you. Is Eric Roberts the fucking man in this movie?
2: Yeah, I, I, I have to say yes, especially because of how high he pitches it. I, I think the movie has trouble keeping up with him towards the end because he's he's really owning this performance. Um, And and again, it's not one of my faves or anything, but I think he does a really good job.
1: I think he, in some ways, carries the movie uh, because it, 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 he is... Almost always the most interesting thing on the screen When he's on it And he is on the screen for a majority of it uh, So I think that a lot of the interest And a lot of what I took away from it Because again, I do think I like this movie A bit more than both of you I think his performance is a, a large reason for that uh, So I'm going to complete that trinity And say Eric Roberts is the fucking man In 1990's Descending Angel A movie that is a little bit hard to track down uh, You can find it on YouTube right now In an illegal copy uh, Which I am not probably shouldn't even say But uh, it is worth... Checking out if you're a fan of Eric Roberts, George C. Scott, or if any of the material we've been discussing on this episode sounds interesting to you. And if you do check it out, why don't you let us know what you thought over at uh, our Twitter feed, at ERITFM. With that said, we're going to take our final break. When we return, we're going to talk to Josh, do a little plugging, and say goodnight. And that was episode number 88 of Eric Roberts is the fucking man I want to give a massive thank you to our guest this week Josh Alvarez, an incredibly talented musician, writer, and podcaster uh, He's been a joy, and obviously, of course, already has a connection to Liam But what a, a joy for me to be able to cement our own new friendship I've even been invited to your family's home And I am going to take you up on it And boy, will you be surprised on Thanksgiving <laughs> next year when I just show up Josh, tell the world where people can find your work on the internet
3: um, well, my band Cross Keys had just released a two-song demo, and you can find that where you stream all your music on Spotify and on Bandcamp, and uh, I think it's on the, the iTunes and all that stuff. But uh, it's two songs. One, The first song's called Everything Breaks, and the second song is called uh, A Single Action. It's our first recordings with uh, Mr. Dave Wagonshoots on drums, who's our new drummer. And uh, you might remember him from Kid Dynamite and Lifetime and Incan and Dagger and mm-hmm. every band uh, from the 90s, including Good <laughs> Ritz. Yeah, yeah. He's pretty awesome. So uh, you can check that out and on Instagram is at uh, crosskeysphl. And um, my solo stuff is at joshalvarez.bandcamp.com and cinepunks.com and yeah, all that stuff. All of, all of it, everywhere. I'm also, uh, yeah, I don't know. Is that what you say? Is that a thing? Yeah. Sure,
1: and what I'm going to say is, of course, we will link people in the show notes to all of these wonderful resources. Uh, Josh, are you on uh, social media in a way that people can uh, follow you?
3: I am. I'm on, Twi- on Twitter as Fatboy, P-O-G-I-F-A-T-B-O-Y, and uh, on Instagram as Joey Angel. And we will link those, of course, as well.
1: Liam, this uh, gentleman, Josh Alvarez, just mentioned CinePunks. What's going on on the website?
2: Uh, you know, stuff, whatever. Enthusiasm, Liam. You're trying to build yeah. an empire here. <laughs> uh, yeah. we're. I, I, I'm trying. I, I should plan ahead so I know what to highlight. Um, you know, we just put up new episodes of Cyberpunk's and... Uh, horror business, uh, the most uh, recent horror business we did, Let's Scare Jessica to Death and uh, Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer. Mm. And uh, my highlight of the site is actually our new uh, podcast, sister podcast, um, Wine and Cheese, in which mm. uh, um, Joey Breeding and Mike Paulshock cover uh, one – whiny record and one cheesy movie that they uh combine they choose a a a combination based upon methods i don't understand it always feels (laughs) random to me but uh but it's a lot of fun they're they're they have a lot of chemistry and what's interesting is uh, about half the records they pick i don't care about the right it's something i don't give a fuck about but they're so interesting i end up listening to the full episode anyway (laughs)
1: <laughs> if only we had that kind of chemistry that kept people listening, yeah, no, that doesn't even happen. when they're uninterested <laughs> in the material. Uh, Liam, what what is a a whiny record for you? What what do you think is one of the whiniest records?
2: That's a good question. Uh, one of the records they covered that I think would qualify is uh, Minerals and Serenading. Oh, boy. Um, Yeah, that's a real cry fest. Uh, And so, yeah, I I would say something along those lines. I mean, I think their original goal was to focus on specifically the genre emo. Sure. But uh, what they pretty soon realized was that, A, everyone has a different definition of what that word even means. Sure. And, B, you know, their second episode, they were like, actually, let's just do Weezer. I'm like, Weezer's not emo. So I think for them, they they decided it's also too – even if they could decide on a definition – that would then be too limiting so mm-hmm. i think uh focusing on the the idea that they're picking albums that uh sort of generally fall into uh you know whiny music you know
1: mm-hmm. how about you josh uh, what's what's a whiny album that uh, that
3: uh, uh, man, note dude, i would argue that the entire mineral oeuvre is mm-hmm. just truth that you didn't get your ass kicked enough in high school it oh is. my goodness yeah man i hate that shit i can't lie i i want to fight you so bad right yeah, now. yeah dude and serenading and uh the what was the falling one that first one. Oh man and they power, were power jesus band. yeah yeah
2: secret secret jesus band the worst kind
3: oh my god yeah that stuff makes my testicles ascend into my pelvic girdle
2: i've definitely cried <laughs> actual tears listening to end serenading yeah that's see it's case in point yeah.
1: <laughs> if you want to follow Liam O'Donnell on Twitter, he is at Liam Rules. That's our uh all one word, right, Liam? Liam Rules. Yep. Yeah, you can do that. But of course, check out Cinepunks. Uh, there's also a Cinepunks Twitter feed, right? At, at Cinepunks?
2: Yeah, that is correct.
1: You can do that. Follow all that stuff. You can check out my other podcast, No Budget Nightmares, over at NoBudgetPodcast.com. We'll be back very soon after a brief hiatus where we feature uh, micro-budget and ultra-low-budget movies and movie-making over there. Uh, You can follow me on Twitter at Doug underscore Tilly. That's T-I-L-L-E-Y. And if you want to find out more about Eric Roberts is the fucking man and why wouldn't you, you can follow us on Twitter at E-R-I-T-F-M. On Facebook, just do a search for Eric Roberts is the man or go to ericrobertsistheman.com. Check out all of the older episodes Check out our entire archive And when you're done with that When you're done with everything You can follow Eric Roberts on Twitter At Eric Roberts All one word Ladies and gentlemen Boats and hoes <laughs> It's time for us to say goodnight For another week We'll be back very soon With another Eric Roberts classic Goodnight everybody
3: Thanks for having me guys
0: Eric Roberts is a fucking man Eric Roberts is a fucking man Eric Roberts is the fucking man If there's anything that you can do Eric Roberts fucking can